This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Talking Halos, Derek C. Paul, my co-host, my partner in crime, John Crane, for our 100th, that's right, 100th episode of the show. It's been a little bit less than a year. We're glad to be here talking some baseball, even though baseball's not on 100 episodes, John. How do you feel about that? It just flew by. I'm telling you, it's uh, who would have who would have thought a hundred episodes ago that I would still be doing a podcast a hundred episodes later. I thought this was like, yeah, no, it's it's good. It's a, it's an accomplishment. I'm, I'm proud. I'm, and we still got people listening. That's what's the best part. <laughs> there are still people that are downloading and listening to this podcast after a hundred episodes. Shout out to you guys. One hundred episodes of dealing with John Crane will. <laughs> Be enough to admit you wish you never had an episode 200, but I digress. <laughs> He's still here, and so am I. 100 episodes, yeah. and we have a special guest for that 100 episode that's going to be coming up. I, oh, should I spoil the surprise now or later? If you're listening now, you've listened. Yeah, to, yeah. You've seen the episode title. I guess I know. All right, I'll so, tweet out a picture of me. I'll pick a, tweet out a picture of me and him. Uh, you know, not really exactly, but in the same picture. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I was close to him. I was close, but. You know, we we do have a selfie together. He's not really well, looking at the camera. But unfortunately, uh, yeah. though, you have a bad track record with with selfies. So I don't know how long that poor man stays alive. Like he could be struck by lightning but, tomorrow. Did, but did you see? I mean, I've I've revisited. I think we've already talked about this, but I revisited again. If you haven't seen the full video of Madden just bolting past me, like looking at me, like waving, like. I'm not getting within 15 feet of you. So somebody ratted me out to Madden and no, said... No, it just yeah, had nothing to do with that whole coronavirus thing going around. <laughs> no, no, no. It definitely had to do with the change. <laughs> so I, I think maybe Madden might be you know, monitoring the talking halos or Twitter or something because he was full, fully aware of the curse and was absolutely having no part of it. Just ran by me. I couldn't believe it. But that's good. That bodes well for Angels fans gonna be a great year yeah i think you have you drank a lot of kool-aid for this one man no no seriously 100 episodes we had to get somebody who uh could bring some memories back for us we've been studying the 2002 world series and one of those heroes that year was adam candy second baseman and uh, he was kind enough to come on and talk with me this weekend we we talked about everything ranging from his his tweet Back in January to the NL, sorry, to the ALCS, to the World Series, to his career, it was a nice conversation and really gave us a chance to get to know him a little bit better. And you realize real quick that even though he's no longer playing, he's still playing. In other words, he transitioned right from being a player 
to a fan. He's still playing the game of baseball through him being a fan. Still watches all the games. Still watches all the Angels games. He's got very strong opinions. And uh, it was really nice to just sit down and have a, a conversation with a guy who was a big part of that 2002 World Series team. Even if we had to say goodbye to him a few years later. You know, Adam County was one of the greater ones. So, and that, by the way, he wasn't on our best second baseman in franchise list, by the way. Nobody nominated him. That's kind of weird. Because he was actually very good. Yeah, but we had some pretty good ones, too. I mean... Yeah, I had some good ones. Bobby Gritch is on there, but I don't think people should sleep on Adam Kennedy. He was very good. ALCS MVP. That's a really solid year for the Angels. I mean, he was the best second baseman in the league fielding-wise. Um, well, part of that second base, best second base unit, not overall, but unit. He was part of the best fielding team that year unit. I, he was very, very good, and I would hope that maybe people would rethink him a little bit. I'm not saying he's the best of Angels history, because taking Bobby Gritch out of there would be a tall task. But, I mean, be at least a little bit in the conversation before you say no. It, that, I think he probably should have been considered there, especially since second base is, isn't exactly the world's deepest position in Angels history. So, I mean, he had a pretty good career overall. 14 years, very good career. And probably is a little bit underrated when you put his contributions to baseball, two World Series titles, one with the Angels, one with the Cardinals. You can put it all in perspective. So that's my thoughts, and we'll get to him in a little bit. Speaking of Adam Kennedy, 2002, World Series Game 3, John. You sat down and watched it the other day again. Um, it's been our homework. What were your thoughts about I that? I did. Game? Just a lot of, like, I, I was a different person at that point, not not as, I'm still not a stat guy, just so, look, breaking news, I'm still not a stat guy. But just interesting to see the the specific memories, because I just always, in, in that World Series, Game 6 is so burned into my head, uh, to go back and, and revisit the offensive explosiveness of this game, um, and uh it was it was a, it was just a, a fun game to watch, you know. I I, I mean I learned things like about uh, that uh, you know. I mean listening to the listening to Joe Buck. Joe Buck was still around. Uh, I was still was it was uh, everybody loves Joe Buck. Um, anyway, he's talking about Joe like Buck Ramon. Is still, Ramon is still a round. Yeah, Joe Buck's still around. Are you talking? Are you talking about Jack Buck? No, I'm saying Joe Buck. No, Joe Buck. I know. I didn't realize that he was on the scene. I know Jack Buck. You know, it, it, that long ago, I said Joe yeah. Buck called the game with, with Tim McCarver. And uh, so I was like, uh, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like Joe Buck's been around that long. Um, so just listening to, listen to him and McCarver, you know, throwing out stats on the game. It was, uh, you know, like, you know, I didn't realize and remember that Ramon Ortiz had given up the most home runs that year facing Barry Bonds. Uh, there's a feast. And I didn't realize that that game, LeVon Hernandez hadn't well hadn't lost in the postseason. He coming off the Marlins thing, so I was it was you know it was interesting to just to listen to the I I got a lot just listening to uh, McCarver and Buck uh, narrating the game as it went along and enjoying uh, and actually enjoying the game. What were your overall thoughts of the game? And I, I, there were a couple that came to mind immediately as I went through it. And it's something that I think we all forgot. But I want to hear your thoughts on first about the overall performance by the Angels and their 10-4 win over the Giants. I think it was I, – there's very little to find fault in. I don't – if there's the, – the, what, the only really offense came when uh, uh, they let – you know, when they what they had a uh, – now I don't even remember. It was like a, a six or an eight-run lead or something when, when Bonds came up and they let Ortiz – they let Ortiz go at him. I mean, there's no reason to pitch DeBerry Bonds, I think, ever in that game. There was in that series. I don't think there was ever a reason to pitch with him. Maybe with leading off the, the game with the bases empty, um, depending on situational. I mean, he just was unconscious that game. So I, I enjoyed that they uh that they let him that they let him uh, uh th- you know Ortiz face him and of course Ortiz lost. And uh, more stats. Just that what they the, the third and fourth both they they batted around twice. It was just it was just a crazy crazy incredible uh, offensive explosion. Which I guess because of that allowed them to let Ortiz face Bond. And uh, like I said, Bonds won. I it just was it was a candy store for an Angel fan. Uh, it was fun uh, because they, the game was never really in doubt. And. Those are the kind of games I like. I mean, in retrospect, when I when I look back at games, if 
there's a clutch shot that ends up winning or they hold off. I'll, I'll watch that on replay. Uh, like this, you know, I, but I don't enjoy those games live. Uh, it's just too stressful for me. I've been that way about sports. I prefer to watch sports when I kind of know the outlook. Uh, I mean, when I know not so much baseball, I got to say not so much baseball, but other sports uh, like football. I like to know the out. I, I, I like to be a little ahead of the outcome. And uh, I guess because I'm not a good loser. So it was just not it was a, a lot loser. funner of a game. Pardon? Not a good loser. Not a good loser. Yes, I'm not a good loser. It was just it was when you said game three. You know, I just had to look at I, and I and I didn't realize how fun of a game it was. And again, fun because it was never really in doubt. Never really in doubt is a is a rarity, by the way, in that series. I think what really impressed me about the Angels in that game in particular was that they didn't hit any home runs and and still scored ten runs. In what was considered a, a pitcher's ballpark, Pac Bell at the time, very much a pitcher's ballpark. Pretty much, you know, Kent and Barry Bonds were the main home runners there. No one really hit a lot of home runs there. And yet, 10 runs, none of them home runs. You had doubles everywhere. Darren Erstad gets three hits that day. Troy Gloss goes two for five. Scott Spees goes two for five. Adam Kennedy's two for five. Tim Sammons one for four with an RBI, two walks. Even gets a stolen base in that game. Uh, it was really a strong performance across the board. Benji Molina, two for two in that game. The offense did the job, and in the end, they went to went to San Francisco and pretty much put the Giants in a vice. You know, for that series, the Giants were essentially in a little bit worse of a position than the Angels were going in game two, down one nothing. The Angels were going in Game 2, and they could not lose that second game in Anaheim. And now the Giants will go into Game 4 in their own desperate situation where they cannot go down 3-1, to one, losing two straight at home. It was a, a lot of fun to watch. It was good, old-fashioned Angels baseball across the board. And just the pressure that the Angels put on them was phenomenal. 7-for-22 with Marissa scoring position in that game. They really... Just kept it on. I am really fond of this game, not just because it was a blow-up, but because it's very familiar to me in how we saw that team play all year. Just aggression, pushing the tempo of the game, making pitchers feel them on the base pads. It was it was a really solid performance. And Livion Hernandez was a World Series hero. Yeah. He goes out there and it goes three and two-thirds inning, gets up five hits, six runs, Five walks. They just, you know, really got in his head, and it was a solid performance on the Angels' part. And it's good because Ramon Ortiz had a rough one himself. You mentioned a little bit about the pitching in that game. And what were your thoughts with Jeff Kent and Barry Bonds? You mentioned that a little bit earlier. What were you really thinking about there? I just it, it occurred to me, and I, and I know it occurred to me back then uh, when I even when I, I like I said I'm. I, my baseball knowledge has improved. That's all I'll say. I'm not going to say I'm an expert. I'm not Jared. I'm not Brock. I'm not you. But my baseball knowledge has improved. But I remember, I believe, it, back, back at that time, and I still, when I watched it yesterday, I'm like, why is Kent hitting in front of Bonds? I mean, so it, it, because, you know, as soon as Kent's done, they just walk Bonds. Um, and why is, why is, why, uh, why don't they put Kent behind Bonds? And so that was the question I asked you before the show. You go ahead and explain it to me. When you look at the Angels now, Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon, I mean, we pretty much assumed Rendon would hit behind Mike Trout and protect him. Mm-hmm. Rendon's not the same hitter as Mike Trout is, but Rendon's close enough to scare the crap out of you and make you make a choice. I mean, that's how I view it. With Bonds, he scared you no matter what. So were you just going to let him walk every single time when someone hit behind him. When Jeff Kent, as good as he was, did have holes in his swing, and you can get him out. I mean, that's how I would view it. Or it could have been bad strategy by Dusty, Dusty Baker in that as well. But I just, I think I would rather just try and get that guy out and only deal with the one stress being Bonds. And and for, the matter, for that matter, for most of the series, that's what happened. I mean, Barry Bonds in this game hits a home run too, right? 
like I said, that was a home run that I was I was proud of. I was happy because we had such a comfortable lead that they let Ortiz face Bonds. Because, uh, you know, in any other, I think, like I said, any other scenario, Ortiz walks Bonds. I didn't, I don't, you know, back then and 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 then i'll go back to when albert against st St. louis and texas i felt the same way you're not even going to pitch it why are you even pitching this guy just put him on base just put him on base he's less dangerous you just put him on base and uh so um uh oh you know what what i'm thinking about about too was remind me going back again now was kent on base at the time when bonds hit that home run there was more than one person on base. I think there was three people. I think two people on base. So yeah, I believe no, he no, was. No, there was only and one on. Pardon? There was only, there was one, only on. one on. And Benito Santiago was hitting behind on that night. I, you know, I do have to wonder why. In that case, with the, in that situation, why Kent wasn't hit behind him. I have to yes, wonder. But Santiago, he actually got a decent night for he had he had a good series for that. I mean, behind well, him. Let's let's work this out for a minute because okay. Barry Bonds, if you are the Giants and you have Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent in the lineup, Jeff Kent, good hitter, very good, borderline, I'd say, Hall of Famer, right, Jeff Kent? Mm-hmm. Definitely, he, definitely. He is going to see better pitches if Barry Bonds is behind him in the lineup, right? That's That was my thought process. Okay. But if Jeff Kent is hitting behind Barry Bonds... Will he see better pitches with Benito Santiago hit behind Jeff Kent? No, but but the the, the theory is so so I, I I guess it really blows the theory away if you're if you're acknowledging Jeff Kent is no intimidation has no intimidating factor to him that they will still just continue to walk Bonds and say I'll take I'll I'll put Bonds on and face Kent with a man on if that is what. If that's what you believe is the case, then it's pointless to do it. But if you think that Kent, again, borderline Hall of Famer, definitely power hitter, has is a is a serious threat, then I think putting a serious threat behind Barry Bond gives people incentive to try to throw to him on occasion. I you know, but again, that's a big if if you're saying that well, I mean, here's my there's question. one thing to say I'd rather face there's one thing to say I'd rather face Santiago than Bonds. As to say, I'd rather face Jeff Kent than Bonds. I know you'd still rather face Jeff Kent than Bonds, but would you rather face Jeff Kent with a man on base? Compared to Bonds? Compared with to a Bonds? man on base? Well, you don't necessarily have a man on base if you got if you got Jeff Kent in front of him. I'm just because you're not automatically walking Jeff Kent. You're not gonna walk Jeff Kent to get to Barry Bonds, but you will walk Bonds to get to Jeff. I'm saying if you're gonna just walk Bonds to get to Kent, then the whole then that's the answer to the question. That I would rather than if the intimidation of having Kent behind Bonds isn't going to result in Bonds not getting walked, then it's pointless. But I'm saying if you have Kent behind him, are people going to say, well, I'll walk Barry Bonds and face Jeff Kent with a man on base? Uh, then I that's the question I'm asking, because I think that that would put a little more thought process in their head as opposed to walking Bonds and facing Santiago. But I don't know. Well, Santiago did have a couple clutch hits that postseason. So did JT Snell, for that matter. But they weren't hitting well. Santiago was hitting two forty one. I think, in terms of the grand scheme of things, if I am Dusty Baker, and Dusty Baker has Richard Orlea, who is one of the better ones at the time, Jeff Kent, and Barry Bonds, I'm thinking. Oh, and Kenny Loth at the top of the order here. Don't forget him. Yeah, though I'm, I'm thinking if those guys can get in the lineup, can, can get on base before Barry Bonds, I have a great shot at multiple runs here. But if Jeff Kent is hitting behind Bonds when Bonds comes to play, the Bonds in the third hole, then there's a shot that Lofton and Aurelia are. Out, or at least one of the two guys is out. So you have possible max run production if they come in hot. Another thing that comes to mind too is if he's hitting the four hole and they go straight through the lineup one, two, three, they go to the next inning, Bonds leads off. And do you really want Bonds hitting home run off you to lead, lead off the inning? 
Or would you rather risk just putting him on base because you have Santiago Snow and Sanders come up behind that? Which is the Mike Trout thing we have today. Yeah, like Why Mike Trout hits where he hits. Yeah, that's the, probably the where cleanup Trout hitter. Hits. The cleanup hitter is not necessarily like they're not putting the best hitter or the cleanup hitter anymore because they want to give him more at bats. Well, I think in the Trout situation, you put Trout in the two hole to guarantee the leadoff hitter gets pitches he can hit. So you have a shot of getting that leadoff hitter on base with Trout coming to play because you're not going to walk that guy. So you're going to make you're going to force the pitcher to challenge him. That's why you probably have it the two spot. Now I can imagine a Rendon hit behind him. Now I got I mean that would be a scary lineup. But I, I, that's why I think I think if you have him in the four hole and Lofton really can't get out, you still have Bond leading off the next inning, and they're not going to want to pitch to him. And if they do, there's a good shot. He, there's a good shot that he launches one off of you. So pick your poison. What do you think? Can I just talk on that one through? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really have an answer to it. I just, I mean, it, well, it didn't work. So, you know, <laughs> we don't know. I, you know. Another thing I thought of when I, I thought last night when I, when I was watching the game is, and it probably wouldn't have been, wouldn't, wouldn't have been wise. I was just wondering if they, if they actually pitched to Bonds, you know, if they actually pitched to him, I wonder what the result would have been if he'd gotten pitched to regularly. I mean, I don't even, I don't even know how many times he, he actually got pitched to except, I mean, that game last night, it was just when Ortiz had the huge, he had the huge lead. Um, so, I mean, it probably would have been a bloodbath if you pitched to him every time, but we'll never know. Cause he wasn't really throwing a lot of pitches during that series. I would like to know too, but overall, I think you just want to avoid, you want to avoid giving him, no opportunities. Like if you hit him at three, there's a good chance that leading off next inning, you have Kent and then Santiago Snow or Sanders. So if you have if you have him the four hole, sorry, four hole, and you don't get to him, you still got to deal with him as the first hitter you face, and he's getting on base in that series fifty four you know fifty four percent of the time. That's serious stuff. Overall, ten four. Angels win. I mean, I would love. I'm sure someone's talked about Ramon Ortiz goes two. Um, sorry, goes two and zero with this game. He goes uh, five innings, five hits, four walks. So the pitching in this game was not good from the starters. But Brennan Donald Link goes two innings. Scott Schoenweiss goes two innings. No runs given up for those two guys. Um, for the Giants, it was a little weird. Livion Hernandez gives up six runs. Five of them are in three and two thirds innings. Jay Watasik gives up. Two runs in a third inning. Aaron Foltz gives up a run in two innings. And Scott Iyer, uh, Felix, Felix Hernandez gets up no runs in an inning. And Scott Iyer gives up one run not earned in two innings. And so the pitching in that game was horrible. Lots of mistakes by the Giants and the Angels with their pressure offense. Make them pay. They win 10-4. to Angels, no home runs in that game. None. Nada. Nada. They do have... Three doubles, a triple. Benji Millian gets hit twice. Tim Stanley gets hit once. Sorry, intentionally walked my bad. And Adam Kenya gets hit. So there you go. Big night. Scott Spies with three RBIs. Pretty, uh, pretty spectacular victory. Exciting. One other thing that that, that and and I just want to preface this, to everybody. I've grown up in Los Angeles. I'm fully and absolutely aware. I've even been to a Dodger game where Dusty Baker and Mike Lasosha, you're on the same team. I know they're on the same team, but it's been so long. And during the game, pregame, they were showing them two talking to each other, and it just—I don't think it's occurred to me in the longest time that. You know, they were four, two former Dodger teammates were facing each other. I guess because you know, Sosha's been a manager for so long, and Dusty's been a manager for so long that you know, I that I I've forgotten that matchup of managers that were former teammates in that. And uh, anyways, I just I just think it's funny I'd forgotten it. I mean, again, fully aware that they're both Dodgers. Ask me, I knew they were both Dodgers, but uh, and on the same team. But that was interesting for me. Yeah. Um, I got nothing for you there, man. You yeah, made it, made it all. And Dusty's never won a World Series, though. And I don't think he will this year in Houston either. That's a, that's a and lot. And yet of he got there. a job. Yet he got a job, and Mike Sosha is still not working. 
Well, what the heck? But let's be honest. Would you want to see Mike Sosha managing the Astros? <laughs> do you think? Do you think that I mean, that was a? Well, I mean, no, 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 not no, not now, no, not now, no, no, because I don't want to. No, I, I, yeah, I don't want my wife yelling, you know, things at Mike Sosha now. <laughs> I don't not that she would, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, you're right. The, so that was probably a bad, bad mix, anyways. But anyways, I would like to see him doing something in baseball at some point. I hope somebody, I hope he gets somewhere somewhere. So. Hopefully so. All right. So all that in mind, we want to bring Adam Kennedy into the mix. He is the 2002 American League Championship Series MVP. And, um, man, a nice interview. Really nice to sit down and talk baseball with him. And you really kind of get the, the, you get the idea immediately how much he still loves the game and how he talks about it, especially as you get down the nitty-gritty about the Angels back in January. So you may or may not agree with the assessment of Apple-er. Um I'm I'm iffy on Mr. Epler. I think he's done some good things. I think there's some things that I'm questionable on in terms of um, the overall team-building process. But, man, he, he definitely made his thoughts known. So here you go. An interview with Adam Kennedy, 2002 American League Championship Series MVP, and of course, winning the World Series with both the Angels in 2002 and later on the Cardinals. Here we go. All right, folks, I am here with former Angel, among many other teams, 14 years in baseball, Adam Kennedy, the 2002 ALCS MVP, World Series champion two times, by the way. Adam, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad you're in the show. This, this has been a, a bit of a change for us. Normally, this time of year, we're talking the current Angels, and then with the whole world being shut down before our very eyes, we, we started getting into 2002. We started getting into the role that team played in kind of bringing a lot of us together. We still talk about it, right? And that's why we wanted you on the show. And so right away, I want to ask you first and foremost – you know, what overall did that year, that championship mean to you? Oh, man, you know, so many layers of that, right? You know, you had, um, I was in my third year, so it's, it's you know, a time where you're either kind of making it or breaking it. You know, you're, you're going to go into arbitration. Are you, are you, have you done well enough in your first three years to, to kind of plant your seed as a, as a you know, as a big leaguer? Um, so you have all that going on, right? You have uh, the third year kind of under Socia and Stoneman and, and kind of that helm and kind of the the handprints that they had all put on the team for, for those three years and the trades they're making and, you know, kind of uh, really kind of forming that team together uh, in a good mix of, of, you know, farmhand guys, you know, Erstad, Percival, Garrett Anderson, Tim Salmon, and and then free agents as well, and even just minor league free agents, or you know, um, trade you know trades. You know, I, I was traded for Edmonds, so a, a good little mix of of kind of just how they brought everybody together, and then a, a time where you know Anaheim baseball wasn't exactly um, bringing Orange County County fans, Inland Empire fans to the stadium uh, in 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 drones, really. Um, and it just was kind of a magical year for everybody, you know, and, um, you know, about halfway through the year, we just really took off and, and, you know, um, it was, it was a great, you know, probably last three quarters of the year and, and, um, and a great, just kind of brought the city together, brought Orange County, you know, on the map with, with baseball. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, looking back on that 2002 season, your season itself was Pretty special, just you individually. Career high, 312, 32 doubles, six triples. The Angels led the league in hitting, not hitting, sorry, fielding, both overall and at second base, and you were among the best in fielding yourself, mentioned third in the American League. So how did that season come together for you personally, and what made you that difference maker the team needed? Um, you know, I don't know about difference maker, but, you know, in any in any championship team, you know, 
you really can't have any weak spots. You know, you're just not going to have it. You know, whether um, it's it's your nine hitter, you're, you're just not going to have a lot of weak spots. So, so it just took everybody having great years and kind of for me, um, you know, I had a good rookie year. My second year um, wasn't as great. You know, kind of battling how to fit in and you know just. You know, you have a lot of success growing up and in college, and then you're in the big leagues, and it's tough, you know. So you kind of kind of figuring all that out. And I remember being in Kansas City, and I was in uh, early batting practice, and, and Sochi was around, and he, he looked at me, and he's just like, you know, you're not. this is not going to cut it, how you're playing. And, you know, kind of a little wake-up call where, you know, it's either time to, you know, really turn it up or, or, you, or you're not going to make it. So just kind of an internal, you know, challenge. And, and um, I remember from that point forward just kind of having a few games and then good games and they kind of really just taken off and, and kind of with the team in, in, in one kind of uh, a good, good moving forward point for all of us. And I just remember that conversation and what it meant to me. And, mm-hmm. and from then on, just kind of a great year. Well, what I mean by difference maker too is you played about half the games in the schedule as the ninth hitter. And you're essentially paired with David Eckstein coming around to the number one. That was a really good pairing because you both hit well. You're aggressive in the base paths. How did you view that pairing in terms of getting that offense going every day? Yeah, you know, when your offense is as good as we were, you know, it's all about if you're – people worry about losing at bats, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you lose at bats, your numbers could suffer a little bit. But, but when you have a good offense, those at bats don't get lost as much because you're rolling the, the, the lineup over more, more often than not. And that's kind of how you felt, really. You know, you didn't feel wherever you're at in the order that you were missing out too much. And like I said before, any good championship-style team is going to have a strong lineup, a deep lineup. And we we were just really deep. You know, we had power hitters, you know, kind of in, in, at the top there, 3-4, and then maybe again, like, you know, all the way through to like to like 8, really, you know. So, so pretty good pretty good team and then yeah to be able to run it back around with with uh, myself and then x9 and, and Erstad it's a two spot there that's a pretty good um you know three three guys coming back to, to reset the table for for the big guys a second and third time through the lineup now the offense itself especially throughout the year proved a lot in terms of how just capable it was whether it was being a power hitting aggressive baseball Run the base pass overall, but that team didn't start looking good. You guys were six and fourteen, and it was looking like another long year. What happened to kind of pull that team out of that six and fourteen start and get you guys going? You know, I I don't know. You know, you try not to think as an athlete. You try not to think of any slow start is too negatively. So you don't overthink it really, because because you start doing that, then you get in trouble. So as the players, I, I think maybe a little frustration, but um, but I, I didn't sense any kind of giving up or this is going to be another long year type of feeling. You know, um, the good thing about baseball, right, is you play so many games, you always have to reset the next day. So your bad feelings that you start with for a couple of weeks, they can turn quickly into positive, and it's kind of what happened. You know, you, you don't let things carry over too too far and. And once we started started playing well, after the rough start, it was kind of a forgotten thing for us, you know, where you just kind of uh, that's not even a thing we we remember, and we just kind of moving forward. You were a relatively young player at that time, twenty six years old, thirty year in the league. Who were the players that made the biggest impact on you? Uh, on that team, or you know, in my my career in general. Both, both. Um, when I got to first got to pro ball, uh, Joe McEwing, he, he's now the bench coach with the White Sox. He 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 kind of had the biggest impact of my professional career. Um, shortly after I signed, I think my second stint, um, 
in uh, second stop or maybe maybe my first full spring training he kind of we, we formed a friendship and he was kind of a, a you know veteran minor leaguer and he really had a hand in kind of teaching me the ropes of, of pro ball and kind of what we need to do to, to you know get out of there you know the point is to get out of minor league so so he was a big part in, in, in that and then once I got to, to the Angels um, definitely uh, Darren Erstad Troy Percival and then and then even Garrett Anderson from from afar a little bit he's just a little bit quieter but but you appreciate how he he goes about his business so um, in the Angels clubhouse at that point definitely. Percy, Erstad, and Garrett Anderson, 100%. Uh, and they're all three very different. So for me, it was uh, good to see all sides of that. You know, and I was paired, paired next to Erstad um, with our lockers, and he's a very intense man. And, and, and so to see that every day kind of makes you – it made me understand the importance of being there, what I need to do to get ready to play every day. And, you know, you don't want to let those guys down when you're a little bit younger than them. So – uh, I was I was around a lot of good quality um, players that had a big impact on on me, you know, playing well then and and, and having a, a a good long career. And you had a very long career, and that 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 time I'm not sure anybody knows where anybody's going. Right, I mean, no one could foresee in 2002 you're going to play all the way into the mid 2010s, and. When it comes to opportunities to shine, you you had that though. You in two thousand two, the ALCS. That, I remember that game like it was yesterday. The game five performance, three home runs. Was there any? What do you remember about it? Like from your point of view, and and was there anything different about that day entering that game that gave you a sense about what was going to happen? Um, you know, I think I had a, a, a good first round against the Yankees and then the first couple games against Minnesota, uh, not so great. I think I may have mixed in a couple of hits or something, but just wasn't, wasn't locked in. Um, I remember that morning on day games, we, we typically didn't take batting practice outside. So just being in the cage with Mickey Hatcher and I just, it was me, Mickey, Troy Gloss, kind of our, our little hitting group for that, that moment. And I just remember being really frustrated and kind of just left the cage. Like, I just need to reset. So game time comes. I think I was leading off the third inning, um, my first at bat, and I, I asked Mickey going up to the plate, I'm just going to swing at the first pitch. Is that all right? Like, I'm going to try to just, you know, not sink and swing. I homer. And then, I mean, if you're home or you're first to bat, you kind of just like, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your team's in a little bit of struggle, you win a couple of games, you kind of forget up that losing streak. Well, you know, same thing as a hitter. You know, you're struggling a little bit. You have one good swing, one good homer. It kind of changes the whole momentum of your, of your confidence, of your thoughts, and it kind of set the tone for the day. Um, had another good at bat, ended a home run. And just kind of went from there. So, uh, you know, it didn't start off great, but, you know, you stick with it. You kind of try to change up your game plan or, or kind of change things, change the momentum a little bit, and boom, next thing you know, we're headed to the World Series. That World Series itself means the world to many Angels fans. It's been, you know, it's still talked about. It's something I see daily in Angels fan groups, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Facebook. It's kind of like this iconic moment for any Angels fan. But as a player, outside the obvious of winning a title, what made that season in the World Series special to you personally? What was it about that team that, in the end, got the job done? Uh, well, personally, so I grew up. I grew up in Riverside, which is about you know thirty minutes from Angel Stadium. So, so personally, getting to have you know. I think I had every game in the playoffs. I think I had like 28 or 29 tickets. So personally getting to have all my close friends and family there throughout that whole process was really a good time for everybody. You know, um, you know, I always think back now, you know, as much fun as I was having on the field, 
you know, all, all of them were having just as much as fun in the concourse, you know, having some beer, just, you know, there with us along the whole way. So that part of it personally was, was great. And then, you know, team wise, yeah, it, it really kind of forged a, a, a relationship with all of us um, that, you know, we all, a lot of us still kind of keep in contact here and there. Or you see, see guys at, at angel events or, you know, shoot each other texts or something. So, so the team-wise stuff, you know, yeah, you created that bond, and 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 as important it was to Orange County, uh, definitely as important to to us as, as individual players. You know, um, creating contracts for guys, creating longevity, you know, putting yourself on the map as, a, as an individual, a lot of different avenues, and um, so so it was a great year for everybody. Eventually, you, you it was time to move on. You. you eventually go back to the Cardinals, you win a World Series there. When you look back at your, over your career, what are some of your best memories that you had the game? Wow. I mean, every year, every season, you know, you can picture things, you know, pretty clearly and what, you know, you remember them. You know, anywhere from, you know, going back to St. Louis and, uh, you know, getting to watch Albert play, uh, firsthand and, and kind of, you know, it was right after they won the World Series in 06. So the excitement that the city had around them there, getting to reunite with Eckstein there, uh, playing with Jim Edmonds, uh, a lot of good, a lot of good teammates and, and good memories from St. Louis as well. You know, and then to uh, Oakland, Oakland, I had probably my most fun offensive year. You know, I. I I got traded to them um, about a month into the season and really had a great year playing at Oakland. I love everything about Oakland A's organization. Um, as, as much as people don't think or think they're cheap or not first class, they had the best um, travel arrangements, the best hotels, and I, I really enjoyed playing in Oakland. Uh, Seattle, great, great city. Great, you know, playing, getting to play with Ichiro, uh, seeing how his daily routines are. You know, you hear a lot of stories and, and getting to see firsthand um, how he goes about his his business and, and getting to know him. Uh, Felix Hernandez there, watching him perform and play. He, he's a great teammate. Um, and the list goes on, you know. At Washington, D.C., they're starting to kind of uh, turn their – franchise around with with Mike Rizzo being the GM and kind of the guys he was drafting and, and uh, Harper Strasburg being being there for Strasburg's first um, first game against Pittsburgh when the place was just uh, nuts that day um, taking you know they drafted Harper he came out to take BP with us his first week as a, as a national um, a lot of you know uh, living in Washington DC a lot of fun and then uh, finishing my my career in LA, being from California and just uh, being able to go to Dodger Stadium every day uh, was really really special to me. I, I love Dodger Stadium. I love that Vince Scully got to uh, call my name on a nightly basis. So those things were important to me there. And, and uh, playing with Kershaw and Matt Kemp, um, Andre Ethier. You know, a lot of a lot of good good players on that team. A lot of good relationships I made on that team as well. So, I uh, really had a lot of good stats, a lot of good good places to play, and some really good friendships along the way. What did you love about being an Angel during your time with the team? Oh man, you know a lot of things. You know, um, the relationship with Mike Sosha. He he was a great manager for for me. You know, we we. Um, we didn't always see eye to eye at times, but that was because we were both two pretty good competitors and, and two good baseball guys who just loved playing the game. And um, he was great, great manager for me. He always he always had my best interest at the end of the day, and I always appreciated that. Um, we talked about the teammates that I that we had there, and, and you know, and then being able to play in Southern California. It's a pretty cool place to to play, and especially being from here, so. Uh, my time there was was real special, and um, it, it it's fun to to still be you know around town and, and people you know the, the support that the town gives gives the Angels. Well, I wanted to to 
A, thank you for the time that you spent on this team, making some very special memories for Angels fans all over the place. That 2002 World Series, uh, it still is special to me personally. I was actually stationed overseas at the time. I was in Naples, Italy, and game at 1 o'clock in the morning to watch those games. So I would go to work every day during those games, on the morning of those games, already juiced up. That's a bad term. <laughs> they are juiced in terms of hyped up uh, right. <laughs> um, for the day, just having them up all night and watch the World Series. So I got to thank you for being part of that team and, and being part of the success that I got to watch the Angels franchise throughout the 2000s. I guess now moving forward, what are you doing today? What are you well, keeping yourself busy with? Well, I, I you know, I have three boys, so I've really been embedded in like in youth baseball around town. Um, we've had some travel ball teams. We've uh, we've had a baseball facility, so so I've, I've really kept in and dialed in with um, the baseball side of, of being around town and youth baseball. So um, it's what I was born to do. And I've always loved coaching and teaching, and it's been great, you know, meeting new people and, and seeing kids that I started coaching when they were, you know, 11, 12 years old now in the college. And, um, so it's been fun, you know, stay real busy. I do real estate in town. Uh, so just really staying busy. Um, boys keep you busy. So it's been a lot of fun. All right. So can you let folks know where they can follow on social media? If there's anything else that you enjoy doing besides the, the work stuff, I mean, Especially in quarantine, for that matter. Forget we're in quarantine, for crying out loud. Yeah, no, quarantine's been, uh, it's been okay. The, the schooling, the teaching of my, my seven-year-old, you know, we battle a little bit with that. Um, but getting out of the house, you know, throughout the day and, and playing some games with the kids, that part of it's been a lot of fun. Things we don't get to do, you know, on a daily basis other than just kind of practice type things. But just getting outside and playing wolf ball in the street and all that stuff it's been it's been a lot of fun we've been able to get a lot of that in uh sometimes some things you know you don't get to do when, when your schedule is so busy you know so so that's been been really good for everybody but um but yeah just trying to stay safe you know and uh hopefully all this clears up well and and get uh baseball season started up again because um i'm a huge baseball fan and i watch uh, every every Angel game, every night. Um, I watch a lot of other teams as well, but um, but I'm a huge huge sports fan, and uh, it's a big part of my life, and, and always will be. That comes to mind that whole that whole tweet this year because that, that tweet you sent about the front office, you know, and it was such a emotional kind of just response back, the fan response back, and that's kind of what just came to mind as you were saying that. How, how emotionally connected are you to the game overall? I mean, even in watching the Angels play or watching their teams play, watching what happened with the Astros, for that matter, how emotionally are you still attached every day to the, to the Major League game? Oh, I, I mean, you know, emotionally, yes, 100% emotionally, but I don't, you know, hold on to things, mm-hmm. you know, very long. The, the thing with the tweet look, I'm a, I'm just a fan like you, Derek, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. And, um, and so you see, you see kind of Mike Trout, our pool holes, you know, Calhoun, Simmons, you have, you have some of these talented players and, and I just personally don't feel that Epler has kept up his end of the bargain with putting, um, the best product on the field, you know, and, 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 uh, and I'm nothing more than a fan, so I don't work for the Angels. You know, I, I go to some events from time to time. I love uh, Artie and John Carpino and, and, and the ownership. Um, and that was just my feelings on, on that given day, you know. Um, it, it did have a little bit of a, a, a um, you know, get a little bit of attention on everybody, but uh, just my feelings. And, I'm, you know, I, 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 like I said, I watch the games every night. Um, I have to watch a good product. I'm a California kid. 
I'm kind of a front runner. I want to watch a good team, you know. So that's kind of where I was at with that. But um, you know, hopefully, you know, with Sonny Rendon, mm-hmm, things kind yeah. of turn around. I just don't know if their pitching is. Is I don't. I don't think they made any adjustments in, on the bullpen. Um, I know Middleton's back from from arm surgery, and I just don't know if um, you know. I was raised with Mike Sosha era of your bullpen. It just got to be dominant to 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 win, and and I don't see that, and I don't I haven't seen much uh, much improvement on that over the years. So that's just kind of my thoughts on that, and and um, I wanted them to win, you know, every night like like the rest of the Angel fans. Uh, you're not alone there. <laughs> there has been uh, we feel all kinds of different criticism from fans. Are um, we have a four guys on our show and every one of us has a different view of how of the job Bailey Upper's done, the job that um, has been done with the farm system versus what's been going on with the actual everyday lot roster. The this they get run down, but they were unable to get that big fish in terms of a starting pitcher that they've really needed for a long time. It's been a long time since the Angels have had an actual ace. So that that frustration's fair for anybody to have, honestly. I mean if you were to look at the Angels this year and go, who's their ace? Who, who do you think is a race? Yeah, I mean Heaney, you know, and 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 he's and he's great, you know. If you have five Heenies, I think you're okay, or you you will be okay. But but you know, um, Canning's health is in question, you know. I uh, so I, I don't know, you know, the starting pitching. I think you can survive with kind of piecing it together, you know, even without a major ace. If if that bullpen is is just top notch in the league. Um, I mean, you see the Yankees kind of get away with it a, a little bit, um, and that's where my concern is. They don't have that, so I, that's what would be a, a factor in me questioning how strong they can be this year. Well, let's find out, and maybe just maybe they pull some rabbits out of their hat come trade deadline time if there ever is a trade deadline heck if we even have a season my fingers crossed for that but i do want to thank you again for coming on the show and man getting to hear you talk some baseball too i I gotta hope you come back and talk again one day because yeah definitely let's do it again soon absolutely all right thank you so thank you very much so john Looking back on Adam Candy, I know you were the uh, more the fanboy, not the stats buff, as you keep repeating to us. But what were your what were your best memories of watching Adam Candy play out there? I think I watched him. I think I've been watching him this week. That World Series. <laughs> that's really. That's really. I mean, that's. <laughs> how could you? How could you have any other memories? Oh, and also, uh, our, my selfie I took with him. I I did that get cut? Was that on the Eddie? Was that on the? Uh, editing room floor where we talked about where me and him were like you know in the same room just a few feet apart i because no. i missed that part of the interview no he, he didn't he didn't mention me or well um <laughs> i thought maybe that's how you lured him to come on to the show he probably doesn't remember your name <laughs> or your face if he does remember you it's that creepy dude from spring training who wants selfies with everybody wasn't spring I mean, training? It was at it was it was at a sports memorabilia. It's, it's when we even went to better. Go get David Fletcher's. It, when we went to go get David Fletcher's uh, autograph, my wife's uh, my wife's man crush. Uh, I, I don't know what I what you would call me. I guess I guess I'm just I don't know. I'm just her husband. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. But, uh, I, I didn't I didn't catch this. Wait a minute. So you met him at a recent event. Yeah, David Fletcher's. Uh, um, uh, autograph signing. I, I'll, I'll show. I'll send you the pictures. I'll post. I, I posted the pictures on Twitter. Me and uh, my wife in front of David Fletcher's car, and uh, so it was. A, it was a dual. It was a dual uh, autograph signing. So we went to. Well, we met David Fletcher too. At the. At, we ended up meeting him like a week later when I went. When I got to go to batting practice, but um, we'd already. My wife had signed up for that because my wife went to Loyola Marymount and David Fletcher went to Loyola Marymount. I think I'm repeating a lot of this. And so she, so we went we paid for the autograph signing. So he he signed a baseball for me and he signed a Loyola Marymount hat for my wife. And it was a duel. There was um, Adam Kennedy was there, too. He was there at the same time, mm-hmm. a different signing. 
So he was in the room. We saw him, but I hadn't, um, I didn't even know that he was going to be there. My wife organized the whole thing. So we had only signed up for uh, David Fletcher. So he was there. He's very friendly. I did take a picture with him, but it was, like I said, he, he wasn't, but yeah, we were in the same room. He was, he was signing memorabilia like David Fletcher. But go. no, he shouldn't remember me because I didn't approach him. I didn't go all fanboy because it was an event where you should have paid and I didn't pay for him. So I didn't feel it right to go over there and and say, uh, you know, uh, like if he was eating dinner at a fancy. Re- no problem. I'm I'll, you know, I'm over there. I'm come on. It, give me a selfie. But that's Fair not enough, true. Man. I, wouldn't do, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Just so you know, angel players, I wouldn't do that to you. Fair enough. You're weird, but okay. All right. So thanks, Adam, so much for coming to the show. And folks, he doesn't say a whole lot on Twitter, but give him a follow there uh, because when he says something, it does catch attention. Again, um, a great interview. I really enjoyed it. Matter of fact, I definitely asked to come back again and just talk baseball with us because it was really impressive seeing how it went from his memories straight up into the you know the fan side of him. And I think sometimes we forget that. Many of these players are fans. They love the game. They they bless to play it for money. But when it's all said and done, many of them will still go back to the game and enjoy it. And it was very clear in the way he talked at the end that there's still a lot of passion for baseball in there. So I I, I would like to, and, I, and he said we could, we'll have him come back on again and just talk baseball with us because it was a, a wonderful chance just to talk baseball. I felt, considering the life situation right now, with everything in standstill to just breathe back those memories and just get, see someone get passionate about the game. Like we all are. It was nice to see. So there you go. All right, folks, you can find us on Twitter. Go ahead. Go. Adam Kennedy, 40, right? He is Adam at. Kennedy, Adam Kennedy, 40. Yeah, that's it. I'm looking yep. at it. It's got it. He's got 3000 followers. I'm assuming this is a, this is the right one. He's got the blue check mark. There's another guy who's a cameraman, so be be sure to avoid that guy. <laughs> yeah, avoid the cameraman guy. <laughs> sure shot ABC. I was shouting out to the other Adam Kennedy, but the one that was a former angel is Adam Ken- Kennedy 40. What? Correct no, me not. if I'm wrong, Adam. You're wrong. It's not? You're completely wrong? wrong. John, go back to Which your one is he? job. Adam to Kennedy. Oh gosh darn it! Oh, um, there he is. But yes, John, get with the Twitter Times. I should, I should cut this out of the show. But this, I know, you know what? Funny. You don't want to cut this out. You know why? You don't want to cut this out because why does Tim Mead follow the other guy that I told you about? What Adam Two K Forty? Yeah, Ruben, I. We're going to have to figure this out. Oh, Jared Weaver follows him. So, yeah, I might be right. I don't know. <laughs> Mark, oh, Gooby follows the, the one you're, yeah, you're right. I'll go with yours. I'm going to follow yours too. I'm following both just in case I'm right. It's always oh, hard. Yeah, I, I yeah. See, I, I was never on Twitter very often when I got here. So I, I'm very hesitant now because I got punked that one time. In fact, that one guy was posting, had a fake, uh, what was it? A fake, uh, um, oh, what's the, the basketball, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, quote, and uh, anyways, saying several people had, uh, you know, whatever. Anyway, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. I'm very, very careful on Twitter. I, I'm not sure who to follow. I'm pretty sure Tim Mead followed the wrong Adam Kennedy. You think I so? Know, I think so. I think okay. that, I, I think Tim just saw the... Uh, so Alan Kenya there with the go follow his guy and didn't realize it was the wrong guy. Unless well, because, because this Alan Kennedy has uh, cricket highlights on his page. So I don't think that the Angels, Adam Kennedy, is much of a cricket fan. I could be wrong. Adam Two Kennedy is what you're telling me, right? I'm telling you Adam Two Kennedy. And there's rugby too follow. on that page. I'm going to yeah. follow the other guy too because, uh, you know, Tim Mead is the president of the hall of fame so i'm gonna follow his creds too shout out to tim me always love that man i do and with that now we can go home so find us on twitter at talking halos you can find our facebook page at talking halos um 
Just search for it. We also have the Talking Halos group. Keep everything in focus, guys. Baseball will be here sooner than later. Going to keep the faith. I know in some of the Angels groups, we're seeing folks saying there's not going to be a baseball season. There'll be a baseball season. I refuse to believe that. I think it'll happen. Give us some time, and we'll be watching baseball soon enough. So for John and the entire team here, we'll see you in a few days. Celebrate 100 with us. We're out of here. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rivals. The battle of the lake is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.